Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Thanks, Carly. Good morning, Plant family. How are you today? Good to see your beautiful smiling faces. I was really disappointed, Carly, you didn't use that Kentucky Derby joke, second service. She told, made this joke about like if you come three minutes late to the Easter egg hunt, it's like the Kentucky Derby, it's all over. It was a really good joke. That's kudos to you. I loved it. Anyway, hey, it is so good to see you today. I'm used to saying uh, good morning, plant family, every Sunday, except I say it to the other half of our family in West Milford, but it's good to be with you. I bring you greetings and, and hello from your family in West Milford. We are a church that has two locations, and it's a really uh, crazy thing to figure out what that means day in and day out. And uh, it's just really good to be with you all. Uh, Rob did not feel like waking up because it was daylight savings today. No, I'm just kidding. He's ill. He is ill. So please pray for him. Uh, And I just happened to be having a guest speaker preach this morning in West Milford. So the Lord provides. The Lord provides. Um, How many of you love uh, flying on an airplane? I am so shocked. First service too, like no one raised their hand. How many of you don't like flying in an airplane? Who hurt you? (laughs) I, I just... I love it, the whole airport experience, the travel experience. So, so my, my parents just took the entire family, 12 of us, including three under the age of four, to Punta Cana at the beginning of January, like the first week of January. And we flew down, and wow, that was crazy to do with really little kids, two of them being mine. And um, one of them, who was, Phoebe was 18 months old at the time, she's now 20 months, and uh, I had to like, wrestle her to like stay in her seat until she finally cried, moved to screaming, and then eventually just passed out exhausted. Uh, Some of you know what I'm talking about, but uh, now we're planning more trips. I don't know why we want to do that to ourselves, but I guess it was good when we got there. So, Uh, but, but on an airplane, I'm really surprised so many of you don't love to fly. Uh, So maybe this will be encouraging. Maybe this will just make it worse. Um, But I had an English teacher in like eighth grade. I don't know why I remember this story, but he was telling us once about how he was flying on a plane and this woman next to him, there was some turbulence they were experiencing and the wing was starting to go like this a little bit. Is that why you guys don't like flying? Yeah. So the wing was doing like this and he goes, don't worry, you're going to die long before that wing snaps. Because of the amount of G-forces that, that uh, wing is able to withstand is way more than the human body can take. Uh, so I was like, I, I felt encouraged, but maybe that's not helpful for some of you. Um, but it, it's really, flying is so safe. If you ever want to open up like an app that has like tracking all the flights happening all over the world, and if you want to see, you know how there's like a news story every once in a while about something bad going with an airplane. Well, if, just to give you some context, if you look at that app, for those of you that are freaking out, um, If you look at it and you see how many planes are active at once around the globe, you will no longer be concerned. You're like, oh, I hear about like one story, like maybe a year, and there's that many planes in the air at once. It is very safe. So just to encourage you all, but but he was he shared this story about the wing, like is going to be there longer than me. And, and I was like thinking about how when I fly, I don't think about it, but maybe some of you do think about the integrity of that airplane. Like 
I, I want to make sure that it's stable and it's secure. A lot of us uh, are used to the first definition of integrity that pops up in a lot of dictionaries, which is the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, moral uprightness. We talk about having integrity a lot in that sense, right? Uh, but it's the second definition that we care about when we get on an airplane, which is uh, the state of being whole and undivided, something that has wholeness, coherence, and cohesion. How many of you want to get on an incoherent and divided aircraft? You won't be on that plane very long before you get off. You want to be on a plane that is built with integrity. It is coherent. It is cohesive. It, there is no dividedness in its nature. And when you get on an aircraft with integrity, you fly to beautiful tropical destinations. Amen. That's my whole sermon. You can go now. Um, but... When, when you're on an aircraft, there's integrity, right? You, you almost don't think about it. It's safe. You can be on that. That definition matters to you. You're operating in a way that's going to help you soar to the heights you need to get to so you can get to the place that you are going. And, and in a lot of ways, I'd contend that the Christian life is very similar to this. When you and I choose to follow Jesus, we have a, a potential that we could fulfill like that aircraft. But if there are issues of integrity in the second sense of the word, the airplane definition, we're not going to soar, we're going to crash and burn. Now, when it comes to the passage we're going to look at in just a minute, if you want to start looking for Mark chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 28, we're going to read that in just a few minutes. Uh, and we, we start thinking about this idea that we've been in, this theme of true religion these last few weeks. We've been dealing with a lot of really frustrating religious leaders and Pharisees, and they come to Jesus again and again and again, and they've got all of these crazy scenarios and questions they have for him, right? And, and these folks were living in uh, disintegrous lives. They were not coherent with their beliefs. They had all of the performance, they had all of the parts of the airplane, if you will, but they were not coherently integrated. How many people do you know in church environments, please don't name names, other people, obviously not yourself, how many people do you know that do all of the right religious things, they have all the parts, but there is a deep sense of being disintegrated in the way they live their life? They have all the show and none of the heart. Not you, of course, other people that you know. We went there, man. We went there. And, and, if, and if we are going to be more like Jesus and less like these religious leaders, we're going to have to figure out how to have a coherent, integrated walk following him. Now, now here's the thing about Jesus. We, we say when we follow Jesus, he's the, the way of Jesus. We're following in his way, in his practices. What we're saying is Jesus knows how to be human better than anyone else. To be a Christian is to be truly human. It's not about following a religious brand. It's not about following a set of beliefs that are up here and not in here and out in your hands and feet. It is about learning how to be human in the true sense of the word. Jesus was fully God, right? But he was fully human. He showed us the perfect way to be human beings in how he lived. He lived a fully, if you will, integrated life. 
And, and there are so many of us human beings in the world and in the church that are disintegrated with how we live life. And so instead of flying to the heights and arriving at beautiful tropical destinations, we crash and burn. So what I want to do today is we're going to look at a really well-known passage in Mark chapter 12, and I want to talk to you today about how we integrate what I'll call our, our loves. How do we integrate what this passage talks about, love to God and love for people? How do we live an integrous life so that we don't crash? Would you read with me uh, Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34? It says this, one of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered himself well. All these questions were coming at him rapid fire at this point. And so he asked, of all of the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teacher of religious law replied, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Jesus, I, I love the... Um, what a friend we have in Jesus' song that we were just singing. I just pray right now, Lord, that we would sense your friendship. That we would sense this morning as an invitation to become more fully human in the way you have called us to be. To live deeply well-integrated lives that help us soar. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I just want to give you a little bit of context for, for this passage in Mark chapter 12. As I mentioned uh, in Mark 12, Jesus starts out with this parable where he's kind of taking a dig at the religious leaders and basically blaming them and all of their predecessors for killing all of God's messengers and now trying to kill his one and only son. And they don't like that. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been accused of something that you didn't like, but you'd probably feel similar. And, and, and so Jesus is getting all of these different questions from them in a series of question after question. And, and this one scribe is, seems to be a little bit different than the others. He's been hanging back, just kind of watching, and he's really impressed by the wisdom that Jesus uses to answer these questions, the nuance that he brings to the table, all of these different things. And he comes before Jesus and he's like, I've got a question. So what would you say is the greatest commandment? Now, in Jewish uh, culture in this time and in, in the religious community, there was a sense of what the most important command was, but it was still kind of debated a little bit. And, and so they wanted to kind of see what side of the issue or totally new perspective was Jesus going to bring to this. And so he says to them, well, the more, most important commandment is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. This is a very famous passage of scripture for the, the Jewish people. It's called the Shema. And it is a prayer that they still to this day pray very often. The Shema is an incredibly central and became incredibly central to uh, the Jewish community. They recognized it later on as, as the most important command. This is the most important thing at the core of everything, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. But then Jesus goes, I'll throw in a freebie for you. Here's the second most important commandment. And he says, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. And he's quoting there from Leviticus 19, 18. And actually, if you put those two together, what Jesus does is he perfectly sums up the 10 commandments. Love of God and love for others. And, and it's a pretty powerful way of, of looking at it. And this teacher goes, all right, he, he, he's on point. He's answered wisely again. This, he's not trying to break away from uh, tradition in, in the sense of honoring the law. A lot of the concern of the Pharisees throughout all these stories we've been sharing these last several weeks is they're concerned of like, is this like a slippery slope thing? You're going to like move it and then the next generation's going to move it a little more. He's trying to bring them back out of the traditions of, of humans because they didn't realize how far gone they had been. And so he answers well. He's like, I'm not coming to abolish the law essentially. Like he says in Matthew 5. I've come to fulfill this. I'm not, I'm not here to upend the whole thing. I, I want you to get to the heart of this whole thing. And so that's what he's doing in this conversation. But it, it kind of leaves you and I with a question. Okay, great. These are the two most important commandments, love God and love others. And, and I would contend, as I've said, that this is what creates for us a well-integrated life of following Jesus. This is what it means to live a well-integrated life of being fully human. Is if we can understand what it means to love God with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, and with our strength, and if we can learn what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves, we will live a well-integrated life. We will experience what human life was always supposed to be like. If you're dreaming of what human flourishing could be like, especially, you know, if you're younger, there's a lot of beautiful uh, visions in the culture of like, what would it mean to have a great society? It's like John Lennon's like, imagine, right? He's imagining this flourishing world, beautiful world. This is Jesus's imagine. This is what fully integrated human flourishing is like where you can soar and live this compelling life. This is it. And so what I want to do today is just talk about the two halves of this well-integrated life, loving God and loving others. And don't panic when the first point goes long. We're going to spend most of our time with loving God this morning. So first, let's talk about loving God. And, and what is it that Jesus says makes this up? You need to love God with all your Love God with all your, love God with all your, and love God with all your. So what do those mean? Let's, let's break them down. Uh, he was not referring to the cardiovascular system when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. They probably didn't even know much about that other than it was beating. When you see the word heart in the scripture, it's referring to the seat of your will. This is where your will resides, whether you're going to go along with what God's doing or you're going to resist what God's doing. And, and it's not always clear on the surface of it whether you are 
in your heart surrendered to God's will or not. Like I, I shared this first service. Like I know people who are amazing at doing all the religious things, just like the scribe said. Man, this is better than all of the offerings and sacrifices and all of the religious activity that is in the, in the law as well. These two are the most important. You're right, Jesus. I've seen people who are so good at all the religious activity and they have an unsurrendered will. A lot of times our will, our agenda in our hearts is, I need to be needed, so how much more can I do in church? How much more can I do in my workplace, in my family, in my marriage? A lot of times it's, I need to look good, I want to perform, this is an environment that I want to appear successful in, it's me driven, so in the church it can even be like, how many homeless people can I serve? And we're like, wow, they take care of so many homeless people. They don't care about the homeless people. It's challenging when we get to the deep level of our heart and its agenda. Jeremiah the prophet said, the heart is wicked above all else. Who can know it? Sometimes we don't even know what our true motivations are. No, 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 I'm I'm good. I'm definitely, this is definitely the will of God. And then we kind of get on the other side of it and we go, that was kind of about me. It can be hard to discern that space sometimes. But what God says, what Jesus is saying here is to be fully integrous, to be an integrated human being, it starts with your heart loving God well. To give your will totally over and surrender to his. This is what Jesus modeled in the Garden of Gethsemane. He poured out his heart. He was sweating drops of blood. He was in so much anguish saying, God, if there's any other way that you can redeem humanity besides me going to the cross. Please do it. You see, even Jesus had to wrestle with surrendering his will. He was fully human. He didn't experience anything that you and I don't experience. The scriptures say that he was human in every way, experienced temptation of every kind, just like you and I, yet without sin. And so here he is, finally coming to the point where he's able to surrender his will in the garden and say, not my will, but yours be done. And he finally comes to that place. But it doesn't just start there. He had to deal with surrendering and loving God with his heart. And so must we. Second is the soul. Loving God with our soul. The soul is kind of basically describing our our desires and emotions. Our desires and emotions. Now, our emotional world, uh, some of us are very comfortable with that. Uh, some of us are very uncomfortable with our emotional world. But did you know that God gave you your emotions? You were created to experience a wide range of human emotions. Read through the, the Gospels and see the wide range of human emotions that Jesus himself experienced. Everything from joy to anger to annoyance, annoyance to grief to loss. You and I were meant to experience those same kinds of things. Here's, here's what tends to happen broad brush, just generally speaking, in in churches, and a lot of my personal experience in churches, is when tragedy strikes people, go, well, I'm trusting God. And they actually short circuit the, the emotional stuff on the inside that needs to come out and be dealt with. And we jump too quickly to, I'm gonna see a victory, instead of going, God, where are you? So what we need to do is be more like the psalmist who, when he experienced loss, said, I really want to smash Babylonian babies against the rocks over there. It's in the Psalms. Go read it. That's real. You just kind of gloss over it like he didn't mean that. He meant it. He meant it. 
That doesn't say, that's not theologically accurate. Why is that in the Bible? It is theologically accurate because it's not about getting to destroy and murder those children. What he's doing is expressing his emotional world. Where are you, God? This hurts. We're experiencing such grief and loss right now. I'm so angry at my enemies and what they've done. How many of you do that well? How many of you do that sometimes? How many of you don't do that at all? Just like, it's going to be fine. Many of us were taught by our families of origin to actually bury that or just grin and bear it and move on. Don't cry. Strong people don't cry. Any kind of those narratives floating around in our families of origin, uh, those are actually lies and they're, they're not part of the new family of Jesus that you and I are invited to live in. And Jesus experiences beautiful, wide range of human emotions. And I would like to submit to you that when we short-circuit those and do not bring them to the Lord, we are not loving God with our soul. Because we're meant to bring all of this to him. Are the Psalms worship? Yes, they are. Look at the whole range of human emotions in there. All being offered and poured out to God. Ecstatic, crazy joy and depression, clinical depression. And it's all being offered up to the Lord. What could it look like for you and I? I'm camping out here a bit because this tends to be a particular struggle for Christians in in America and in the the Western world. I've lived through this. I've seen this in my own life. So, So you've got to pay attention to your emotional world because when you do, you actually honor God well. You love him well out of that. So if you're in a season of being a mess, Be a mess before God. That's not saying keep it in your prayer closet. I don't want to see it. That's not what I'm saying. But do you hear what I'm saying? Many of us need to slow down enough to even pay attention and realize what's going on there because we've learned for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years not to go there. And it's going to take time to reverse that pattern. But we need to if we want to be well-integrated followers of Jesus. Third is the mind. The mind. Uh, This is the seat of our intellect, of reason. It's our thought life. And and, and here's what happens with the mind. Uh, Depending on what church background you're from, we've got all kinds of different people that attend the plant uh, from all sorts of different church backgrounds, non-church backgrounds. It's really cool. But if you're coming maybe from a more charismatic Pentecostal background, maybe you are a little more comfortable with the emotional-ism. Maybe not actually your emotions, but you like the kind of things getting really sensational and you feel things during worship. If you're coming from maybe of a more reformed tradition, maybe you're like, yeah, I'm very suspicious of anything that feels like anything, but let's reason our way there together. And you see that Jesus is saying you actually need to have both to be human, to be well integrated. If you are going to love me well, yes, you need to open up your emotional world to me and you need to go there, but also you need to start thinking well and not irrationally. You're like, those two don't go together. They're both in the Bible, so they clearly work. I think ours is we've, we've misunderstood the application of their spaces and where they belong. Uh, going back to the, the soul thing, real quick, I had someone that told me that uh, your emotional world is like a diagnostic panel to tell you what's going on in your heart. So when you get, uh, when someone tells you no, how many of you love hearing no? from your parents, from coworkers, from teachers, from neighbors. Like, I want to do this thing and you're telling me no. How many of you get a little, maybe a little offended? Maybe a little entitled, I should be able to do that. 
Use that opportunity, that emotional thing that's getting stirred up as, a, as an invitation from Jesus to say, huh, what is undealt with in my will that I actually haven't surrendered? That's what those things are. Don't use, oh, I, I can't be angry. I can't be angry. I'm a Christian. Use it as an invitation from Jesus to say, I think there's some unfinished work here. And, and then when you do that, that's the right application of your emotional world into your intellectual one. Using those, feeling those emotions, and then taking it rationally into your, your mind to think well on things. Man, you know, God created you with a brilliant mind to think and do so many different things. Uh, many of the, the greatest thinkers of the first 1,000, 1,500 years uh, since Jesus, they, especially like throughout Europe and other places, they had uh, argued in very, very sound intellectual ways in the academy of their day, and, and they had covered every argument in such a way that no uh, pagan believer had any critique that they could throw up to confound it or throw it off. Now, that wasn't a, hey, you guys are, are pagans, be quiet now, we're running the show. It was, they were having great dialogue, and it came to the point where pagans were like, I don't have an answer for that. I don't have a rebuttal. And it was God using people who love to love the Lord their God with all of their mind that were, that were brought into that. And they were able to discover in a brilliant way. Now, I think that worked for that time. I just put a pin in that. I don't know that that's necessarily the best approach in the day and time we live in. That doesn't mean don't use your mind. We just have to use it in a little more of a creative way as we speak with others and dialogue with others around us. But the, the other part of your mind is this is where your thought life is. The Apostle Paul says that you need to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. How many of you are living with lies like we talked about? Of like, well, we don't do that in my family. We don't talk about emotions. That could be a lie. Not could be, it is. That you need to make it obedient to Christ. There could be lies about what a, a marriage or a family is supposed to look like. There could be lies about all kinds of different things that you need wisdom to discern so that you can take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And, and when we're doing that well, when we are do it, taking the time to think, hold on, this is a false belief. It's like we talk about kairos circles a lot. This is exactly what that is. You take the, that false belief, you make it obedient to Christ, and you learn, you relearn, unlearn and relearn how to follow Jesus well. And then finally with this, we love God with all of our strength. We love God with all of our strength. This refers to our physical energies and our very physical bodies. Now, how many of you grew up in a Catholic background? Catholic background? How many of you grew up in like no church background? Awesome. How many of you grew up in more of an evangelical church background and charismatic? Okay, so we've got like a balance, some Catholic background, evangelical backgrounds. Anyone like Eastern Orthodox? Anyone coming from like an Orthodox background? Anyone? Yeah, awesome. Oh, that's great. So uh, the Eastern Orthodox actually might do this a little bit better than some of the rest of us. Uh, but especially in the evangelical world, we have a really poor theology of the body. We have a really poor theology of the body, and let me explain why. Um, because of things happening in the Reformation that would be way too nerdy of a rabbit trail for me to go on right now, um, there, there became this priority over faith alone in trusting God. A lot of it was reaction to some of the issues in the Catholic Church at the time. 
And it was in, in some ways really good for that time, but it's become in many ways unhelpful for us in our now. Uh, a, a lot of evangelical thinkers actually became much more influenced by Plato than by Jewish thinkers. And so this might be a little bit familiar. Plato kind of had this like split dualistic thinking like a lot of uh, other Greek thinkers of his day where there was the body, which is bad. We don't like the body. The body is kind of less. The spirit is good. And, and a lot of us actually read this into a lot of the Apostle Paul's letters when we think about the flesh and the spirit. And that's not what he's talking about at all. We've taken a very like Plato kind of way of thinking. I know you're like not ready for this on a daylight saving say. Um, but you hear what I'm saying. We, we have this thing where we, we value this. Okay, well, my body's like less. What's important is my spiritual life. Does that make sense to you? We, we, okay, this is what matters. So, so what happens because of that, when we follow that to its logical conclusion, we start to like, I don't, I don't really have time to figure out the body. Let's talk about my faith, my spiritual world, how I can trust God more. And that's come to our detriment as Christians because many of us don't know what to do with some of today's questions that have a lot to do with the body. But, but I don't know. We, I wasn't taught that. I can tell you about my, how my spirit needs to be the body's kind of irrelevant, isn't it? Biblically speaking, it's not. Nancy Piercy, who's a, a biblical scholar and, and thinker, she wrote a book called Love Thy Body. It is a fantastic, fantastic book. It's a little nerdy, I'm warning you. Um, but uh, she, she contends and, and displays this throughout that, that biblical orthodox Christianity actually has an incredibly high view of the body and, and actually suggests that secularism actually has a pretty low view of the body. In many ways. Now, there's a lot of nuance to this. That, uh, unfortunately, for the sake of time, I don't have time to get into right now. Uh, so we'll kind of leave it in, in a general space like that. But just a couple of examples that, that have made it really hard to love God well in terms of our body. Uh, our, our physical bodies matter to God so much. Think about this. Jesus, human being, yes, fully human. We get weird when we say that. We're like, he is fully human. He's fully God, but he's also fully human. Think about this right now. There is a human being contending and interceding before the very throne of God right now for every human that's ever lived in all time in history. That's what Hebrews says. Jesus is before the throne interceding for us. There is a human being that God has to listen to because he's pure and spotless saying, I am praying for this world. I am praying for these people. He's praying for you right now. God values the body so much that a human in physical flesh, it's the new creation body that can walk through walls, that's cool, but still gets to eat, amen. It, it's standing flesh and bone before the creator of the universe praying for you right now. There is a very high view of the body in scripture. Otherwise, why would Jesus have a body again? He can just be a spirit up there with God. Well, you need to get like wings and like a little harp and a halo and sit on a cloud and then I'll listen to you. Be more kind of ethereal and spiritual, would you please? But, but the scriptures time and time again show how important it is and it comes back to this. Jesus is saying, your very body matters to me and you need to love God with your full body. Now this has implications on things like sex. This has implications on things like the color of your skin. This has implication on arbitrary decisions about, well, when does a body matter or not? Out of the womb, in the womb? I always get bigger reaction on that than the color of the skin one. 
Let's go, people. Come on. But seriously, but that that's plays into it. We tend to have a very high evangelicalism. I'm speaking generally here. We tend to have a very high view of the body when it comes to issues like abortion and tend to be just for some reason a little weaker when it comes to questions of skin color. Even though we need to have a high view of both. You see how incongruent and in disintegrous those two views are. Part of the problem that we are walking in in this moment in Western Christianity is the church has been disintegrous with how we have loved God. Especially when it comes to our bodies, the thing most people see more than anything else. This has implications on whether we rest or not and Sabbath. This has implications on how we use our time, how we treat people, how we handle our money. Every little detail of life. This is intimidating, right? It's like, this is a lot of stuff that I need to love God with. But at the same time, I believe it's compelling. Because there's such a beautiful thing that God has made in creation here, and he does not want a single part of it to fall to the ground wasted. And he wants his new creation people, his new family, if you're going to be humans and be fully integrated, will you love me well with your, your heart? with your soul, with your mind, and your strength. I want to see you give it all in radical, crazy ways. What could it look like to be well integrated in your love for God? What could it look like? Second, and I promise a much shorter point, maybe. We need to love others. Love others. Now, we have to remember that love is far more of an action than it is a feeling. Yes? I, I was uh, just telling someone in between services, I, uh, yesterday I was, um, I was playing with my, my four-year-old daughter like 15 minutes before dinner time and we had to play dentist for like the thousandth time of the day and when I tell you I had no interest in doing this I had no interest in doing it. I can't even tell you how much I hated the idea of playing this right now I had no feeling of love towards my daughter in that moment can I be totally honest and I was starting to get down on myself and shaming myself and the Lord actually remind me your your feeling while it can help you Indicate what's going on in your heart. Your feeling is not, the, is not what love is towards her right now. Your action toward her will communicate your love. And so we, we have to think about love in that biblical sense when we address this. Because it, it is a radical thing not just to feel warm fuzzies in your heart towards someone, but to actually do something. Yes? That's that separation between the spirit and the body again that kind of comes into play with how we love. Well, I love them in here, but I'm not going to go near them. Or like, yes, we're both in the body of Christ, but like I love them way over there. I don't want them sitting at my table. A lot of times we, we only know how to love people who are very similar to us, who think like us who act like us, who look like us, who go to the same church as us, who have the same beliefs as us, who follow the same political persuasion and watch the same news channels as us. I could go on. 
but you actually only can love other people to the degree to which you have actually been loved yourself. This is what the passage is saying. What does Jesus say? He doesn't say, love your neighbor as I tell you to. Love your neighbor as the scripture says. Love your neighbor as everyone else is telling you you should or the culture demands you do. That's not what it says. Love your neighbor as yourself. The symptom, I believe, of the church when it comes to our lack of love is actually a symptom of not knowing what it means to be fully loved. I believe you and I have a gap in receiving the Father's love in our own lives. Because, man, when you experience what we were singing about, that friendship from Jesus, you can't help but overflow. You can't help. Jesus, man, Jesus did not have a good game plan when he was on earth. He brought together uh, nationalist rebels into his group of disciples He brought in the tax collectors. He brought in kind of the goody two-shoes, Nathaniel, who was super religious. Oh my goodness, this guy. He brought them all together and he says, all right, we're going to spend three years together. This is going to go great. (laughs) At least get people who are like-minded, Jesus. But see, Jesus and, and, and By extension, the church, we do not go farther because we are like-minded. We go further because of love. Now, hear me, this is not love on our terms by our definition. It is love on God's terms and how he bestows love upon us. But let me tell you, when you begin to experience the overflowing love of God, when you begin to experience the overflowing love of the Father, you are able to enter into situations to love people in in a way that you never thought possible. When you find yourself, this is a great test for where your love is of how much love you've received yourself. When you get in certain situations and and you start getting very critical of them, judgmental, whoa, they think that, they believe that, I'd never hang out with them because of this, this thing. Take a moment to realize and recognize what that's a symptom of. Now turn it back on yourself and say, how often am I critical of myself, judgmental of myself, shaming myself, down on myself, not accepting and forgiving myself when God has forgiven me. See, when we come to follow Jesus, we're not coming in with all of the love that we need. It's available to us, right? But we're coming in like on empty. I mean, you come to Jesus and you're just like, you come to church, maybe like you're new, like didn't grow up in church and you just came to Jesus like empty. Some of us came, we grew up in church our whole lives and we thought we were full of love, but it was just performance. I I can say that because that was me. I was full of it. But, But when we begin to experience the love of the Father and that gets filled in us over a lifetime, there's more that we have to overflow to others. And that lets us do what Jesus did. See, because in our culture today, you love who whatever your news media of choice says you're supposed to love. Here's my love box. I love these people. If you're Fox, here it is. If you're MSNBC, here it is over here. If you're like Huffington Post, I don't even know people. I don't watch the news. 
Drives me nuts. Drives me nuts. And that's my own judgmental issues coming out there, you see? We all have them. All have them. I'm like, I know better than them. But do you, do you hear what I'm saying? We, we can all kind of grab like who our group or our, our think tank says is this is who we love, this is who we don't love. But if Jesus were here today, He'd be loving people from the racist communities. He'd be loving people from the gay communities. He'd be loving people from the rich communities. He'd be loving people from the poor communities. And they're like, no, you're doing it wrong. Get everyone that like, kind of thinks the same way and do it the same way. And he's like, my love from the Father is transforming and transcending everyone out of every community and so they can all learn how to be fully human. Do you want to walk in this love? Do you want to walk in this love? I want to close with this. I have to pull it up on my phone because I didn't have time to put it in my notes. Thanks a lot, Rob. (laughs) Give me some notice next time you want to be sick. I'm glad he's feeling better. (laughs) I really am. I I love this. The story of St. Bernard of Clairvaux. Uh, he, was, uh, he was a leader in the Catholic Church, uh, specifically in, in the Benedictine monasteries. He was a monk. And, and people, he, he was someone who was overflowing with the love of God and love of others. This is actually how he's described. He, for some reason, he had this beautiful blend of love for God and love for others. He was a well-integrated human being. And, and it says this, this person commenting on their experience with Bernard of Clairvaux says, he poured out when present the delights with which he himself was always overflowing. Do you want to be that to your neighbors? Pouring out the delights of which you were always overflowing? Do you want to be that to your family? Pouring out the delights of which you are always overflowing. And it goes on to say this, to everyone he appeared so terrifying when he loved and so lovable when terrifying that at his word of rebuke, no one ever became discouraged. No one was ever stung by impatience or consumed by envy. We love, oh, you got to speak the truth in love, but it doesn't sound like that. Can you imagine speaking in such a way to people? that they are compelled to want to live differently. Not because you used the right words, but it was the power of the love of God that had fully filled you and was overflowing to others. This is how we love God and love others as you yourself have been loved. So I want to do this. I just get the sense this morning that there's a lot of folks here who are living with lies, shame, old hurt, pain, grief, emotions that haven't come out and been processed, things like this. Did you know all of those things are actually what keep you from experiencing the love of God in your life? You're too full of all the pain of life to receive and hold anything else. And and I just get the sense that the Father wants to show his love to you in a new way today. Because at the end of the day, I I can't love God and love people. You can't love God and love people. But Jesus can. 
And he wants you to be filled with the love of his Father. Just like he was filled up with it. That's going to confuse the world when you start doing that. It's going to confuse people in church. person sitting next to you, I'm like, I don't know if we can trust them anymore. They're gone. Do you want that kind of love? Would you close your eyes? Bow your head. If you're comfortable even, if you just want to put your hands out in front of you as a posture of receiving, I just want us to wait for the Spirit for a minute. So pour out the love of the Father. Holy Spirit, would you come? We need your love. Lord, we confess, we repent, we have blocked experiencing of your love because we haven't gone there in our emotions. We, we haven't surrendered our will to you. We, 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 our mind and our intellects wrapped up in all the wrong questions or we're trapped in lies. We haven't given our bodies over to you in one way or another. Father, we just come before you and we repent and we want to receive the fullness of your love in our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So just come, just receive for a minute. We're just going to wait on the Father for a minute. If this is new to you, just be present. Jesus is here in the room. If you've never done anything like this before, just, just be present to Jesus. If you start feeling emotional or anything, that's okay. Don't short circuit it. God's trying to pull something up that maybe has been dormant for a long time. Just be with him. feel a little embarrassed even like I haven't really been spending enough time in prayer I I haven't maybe been present with Jesus that maybe this is the most you've been present with Jesus for months and you know what he's not he does not love you any extra because you're doing this right now he has always had abundant love for you whether you were near or far just receive his love We're going to take communion together. 
then I'll give you one more invitation to kind of stay in this, in this moment. But just as an extension of our worship, I just want you to take a look at that cute little wafer in front of you. And I just want you to contemplate for a minute. The very body of God, as we sang about earlier, how much he values bodies. Just look at this right here. Broken and carrying the sin of the entire world for you. Take this in remembrance of how much he loved God and loved people. And with the cup, consider the times that you have messed up your love for God or your love for people or even your love for yourself. It says that his blood cleanses you of all unrighteousness and you are forgiven. go into worship, if you need space at the altar to pray, if you need to bring a friend with you or something, if you need to go after, maybe there's a repentance thing you need to do as it involves loving God and loving people. Maybe you just need to receive more of the Father's love. If you need space uh, up at the front, you are welcome, and and we're just going to worship for a little bit before we close. Let's stand together. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.